Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I always tell you we got a good one for you here today, um, but today I'll say we've got a timely one for you here today. It's no secret that cancel culture is bringing loneliness for us and for other people. We have lots of division and polarization right now, and we're swimming in an unhealthy relational culture right now. And we're going to talk about just that today. Alexandra Koykendall talks about our neighbors. Uh, how do we love people who are very, very even desperately different from us? And yet, how do we bring out the goodness in people around us? We need to bring out the goodness sometimes in ourselves. Maybe you find yourself deeply discouraged. She speaks into discouragement later on in the episode. Maybe you're struggling to find the goodness in the uncle that is going to join you here soon at Thanksgiving dinner, or you're just living in the midst of polarization, wondering, is there any goodness in other people? And you need to rediscover that. And this episode is for you. But before we get started with this episode, I want to tell you something that I'm really pumped about, which is a new masterclass. If you are wondering, how in the world do I turn the tables? Maybe it's unhealth. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're just plain frustrated at where you're at right now. There are a dozen secrets that we've picked up along the way that nobody told me about in leadership that we've discovered along the way at Stay Forth. And we're actually expanding those dozen secrets into a course. I will say we have already expanded it. We just launched this a few weeks ago, and it's called A Dozen Secrets to More Effective Leadership. A Dozen Secrets to More Effective Leadership. I don't know a leader that doesn't want to be more effective right now. And these dozen secrets, I honestly think these are the things we weren't taught. Whether you went to seminary, whether you got a master's, whether you're a CEO, you were just never taught this stuff. That's okay. And yet we've picked these things up along the way. After thousands of hours of coaching, I say, oh man, I think there are some keys that can unlock this for you guys. This masterclass, imagine a course that meets group coaching, that meets group discussion, where you can walk through this course you can walk through these questions afterwards and feel the reflection that you get during leadership coaching. And then ultimately, you could discuss this with your team. Your team, you guys could all download this together. And for a while now, we've heard, I wish there was something just below coaching. I'm not quite ready for coaching yet. This is your thing. Whether you're being coached by us or not, it's complimentary to everything that we are sharing here in coaching. And we think that the value is just packed in this. So don't miss this. A Dozen Secrets to More Effective Leadership. We want you to walk through this masterclass. You can find that in the show notes. You can also head on over to stayforth.com and you'll see a link to it over there. We love you guys. We are for you guys. Conversations like this are crucial if we are going to live and lead right side up for the long haul. Hope you enjoy my conversation. And beyond that, I hope you're challenged and renewed by this conversation with Alexander Quickendall. Alexandra, thanks for coming on today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. It's so great to meet you. You too. Um, goodness. We need yeah. to talk about goodness. Uh, mm -hmm. Talking about your book today, Seeking Out Goodness. Um, first of all, how'd you land on that title? Well, you know, I I like to say that I'm a kitchen anthropologist in that mm -hmm. I stand in my kitchen a lot and I try to make sense of the world. And as I was observing people's behavior 
online, in my real life, in my circles, I was noticing that we often look for what's wrong, for the bad, for the worst, whether it's in a person or a situation or a political statement, whatever it is, we look for what we don't agree with instead of what we do. And I thought, I, this just feels like it's rubbing me the wrong way. There's that. But then there's also the knowledge that God is good and his goodness has not left us, that he is still here. He is still present. He is still working in the world. And if he is, then his goodness must be there to be found. And so I want to find it. I want to look for what is good and find it. And I did a little bit of wordsmithing. And it seems that seeking out goodness, rather than, say, searching for goodness, seeking out implies, apparently, that you believe it's there to be found. Mm. Whereas searching is more, you're not sure if it's even out there. And I still believe that Mm. goodness is out there to be found. So that's that's how I came to the title. That's good. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about others, it could be mining for goodness. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. in there. How do we find, how do we, how do we extract it? How do we get to that? This just seems like um, an always important message, but a really, really crucial and timely message right now of seeking out goodness um, in others. Let's dive into this. This is obviously uh, a season of a lot of infighting, a lot of polarization. It's just, it's a bad scene and it's a worse scene online. And um, what kind of stories, now that this has been out long enough, what kind of stories are you starting to hear about how these words are impacting people in the midst of this polarization? Well, I think people really resonate with the desire to have tools to look for what is good, that we can all relate to that feeling. And, you know, I don't know when people will be listening to this, but I'm approaching the holidays and that feeling of we may be coming up against people, with people, being with people that see the world differently than us, but also that rub us the wrong way. And so we can relate to that. And we can also relate to the feeling of, I want to do a better job of interacting with them. So I think that's what people have really clung to is the tools of believing the best in somebody of looking for what is admirable and celebrating that, of naming what is good when we see it, saying it out loud so that we hear it, God hears it and they hear it, so that um, that we can really celebrate what is good, even when there are a lot of things that we maybe disagree with or even don't like about someone. Because let's get honest. We like things about people and we don't like things about people. And every person we come in contact with is a complicated person. And we're meeting them with that filter of our own complication. Um, Some people might say our own sinful nature, our own imperfections. And when two imperfect people bump up against each other, there's going to be some friction. And so I think people can really relate to that feeling and wanting to do a good job of loving each other well. And this doesn't feel simplistic to me, sort of the naive <laughs> or overly optimistic. You you work in foster care, which is I do. a complex mm-hmm. space that the brokenness of humanity comes out in. And and so I just for our listeners, I just want to say that's not this. That's not mm-hmm. Alexander's message here. Um, is we are in the midst of this complex moment, thinking through this. 
And, um, and yet we desperately need optimism right now. We desperately need hope. Mm-hmm. We def- desperately need um, to be able to flip this perspective. We just seem really culturally stuck right now. Talk about the flip side of this, which seems to be cancel culture. Um, mm-hmm. How could this be an antidote or at least take some of the pressure off of this cancel culture that just seems to be expanding by the day? Right. And I'll define how I use cancel culture just so we can be on the same term, because that's a loaded term for people. And it can mean one thing to one person and another thing to another. So for my purposes in the book, I define it as taking one thing that you disagree with on someone and canceling everything they have to say about everything because of it. And, you know, that really is a hard way to live. Because there is not one person on this planet that I 100% agree with about everything. I mean, my husband and I are pretty aligned on like the big stuff, but we disagree about a lot of things. My best friend and I, we have approaches and viewpoints, but we disagree. So if I'm going to be looking for the person that I agree with on everything, I'm going to be pretty lonely. And I don't think God intended us to live that way. He intended us to live in a community that's rich. And by rich, that means diverse. And by diverse, that means we're going to be different. And that can mean conflict, but conflict is part of it. Um, You know, I look for handholds that we can have. And I think Philippians 4 verse 8 is how I structured my book to be looking for these things. Because when we look for something that's good, that can feel really broad and vague. But I think this verse helps us narrow it down to a little bit more specific. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I want to think about what is lovely and admirable in the people I'm around. So if I feel tempted to cancel someone, which I do, okay, I feel tempted. I'm, I, they rub me the wrong way. I think I don't like your tone. I can handle multiple opinions, but if I don't like someone's tone, that's the trigger for me. For other people, they may feel like I can't be around somebody who voted a certain way or who thinks about this particular issue a certain way or you know name whatever controversial issue there is and we can think of people who disagree with us but i want to figure out how to celebrate how god has made that person good and call it out because you know as parents We know the power of words and calling out what is good in our kids. A child is misbehaving and we can say, you are more than your behavior. I think we have to allow each other as adults to, to be more than our behavior, more than our opinions, more than our voting record. And so by going against cancel culture, what we're saying is I'm not going to cancel you. However, I am going to figure out how I can live in relationship with you in a way that sets us both up for success, sets our relationship up for success. So that could mean I'm going to set some boundaries around our time. I'm going to set some boundaries around things that we talk about. 
maybe this one topic really is off limits. And, you know, as people are approaching the holidays, often they think, oh, we have to invite Uncle Joseph to Thanksgiving dinner. And he always brings up politics and it always creates friction to just set the room up for success by saying ahead of time in an email, hey, we really want everyone to have a good time. We're going to keep these topics off limits on Thanksgiving. So what are some practical ways that you can set yourself up for success? Maybe it's not being alone with that person. Maybe that is really hard because they can get real pointed really fast. And we know that if there's another person in the room, we're all better behaved. You know, whatever it is that's going to help you love that person well, think about it ahead of time and then ask for it. Mm, That's good. Talk about the difference between cancel culture and holding people accountable for their actions. Yeah, I think there is a place for holding people accountable. And we get um, sometimes justified in our canceling because we are saying, well, we're just holding people accountable. There is a place for holding someone accountable. Someone has done something that they are not supposed to, maybe because of their position. And and so I, I have some tips that I want to talk about. The first is affirm what is good in the person. So that, you know, parents use this, supervisors use this, you you compliment somebody on where they're doing things well, you give them a place of room for improvement, and then you sandwich it with another good job. And so remember that as you're holding someone accountable, you are also still looking for what is good. So that's going to help your own attitude, but it's also going to help the person on the receiving end. So uh, celebrate what is good. State the existing and aspirational goals. So our goal, say, as a family, is that we all sit down at dinner together. And so I'm going to need you to do X, Y, and Z. not you have to go sit in your room and have dinner by yourself because you didn't meet our goals. Um, So I think when you're with somebody to state not just the goals you have for right now, but this is what we're working towards. And what we're working towards is being a family that is unified and kind of setting that big picture vision. Um, Consider the relationship. So I am going to hold my husband accountable in a different way than I'm going to hold my coworker or my daughter. So relationship matters and you're going to have more intimacy the closer you are to the person. And then consider public versus private conversations. Sometimes we cancel people that are public figures. And so we go onto Twitter and we just kind of nasty tweet them. I would say that's not in the spirit of goodness (laughs) and peace. Um, but at the same time, sometimes people are in positions of authority and that's just part of the job is that you are putting yourself out there a little bit. So I don't want to say, don't ever ask someone a public question, but I would say, think about your tone and how you're asking it in a public way, but whenever possible, make the conversation a private one. And that's going to get to accountability and not canceling. Um, Lead with the fruit of the spirit. That's just how we try to aim. Um, Maintain consequences. Just because um, you're trying to be kind and loving doesn't mean the person isn't going to have consequences to their actions. And that's accountability. And so we still want to do that. 
Um, and then remember that mutual is best. It really is more of an accountable relationship if you also get to hold me accountable, because then I'm not just canceling and pushing you out. I'm saying we have a relationship and therefore we have responsibility to hold each other to certain standards. That's accountability. And so I welcome your um, accountability as well. So that, again, there may be a power dynamic. My child can't hold me accountable in the same way I can hold her accountable. Um, position is going to influence that. But as my kids grow, they should also be growing in voice in my life and holding me accountable um, as our relationship changes. It's interesting. You're talking about uh, loneliness and cancel culture together, that as we cancel others, um, not only will they find a loneliness in that, but it can be lonely for us. Um, I've never thought about it that way, although it's so true. Talk a little bit about maybe the connection between a lonely culture right now and the lack of seeking out and calling out goodness. Yeah, well, I think we have a lot of uh, things coming together in a perfect storm. So we have the ability to stay connected. I want to say that in air quotes, stay connected virtually, right? Um, but we're less connected. I mean, research shows we're just lonelier as a people. And it's because we have this false sense of connection because we can stay up to date on people's highlight reels, right? I can go onto Facebook and I can see what my best friend from high school is doing this weekend. And before social media existed, I need to have I needed to have an actual conversation with her to be able to know that her kids were in the fall play. Um, and so we have this false sense of connection. We also are just physically more isolated because of the pandemic. And now a lot of us haven't gone back out into the world. We've just gotten in the habit or we actually really like working at home or whatever it is, we are physically more isolated. And so I want to encourage people to get into relationships. I have another book titled Loving My Actual Neighbor, which is all about getting in relationships that are uncomfortable because one, we grow as people, but two, we will find that we actually have so much in common with every person that comes across our path and we are going to be less lonely but it is going to be uncomfortable for a bit. And the deeper the relationship goes, the discomfort may not go away, but the level of intimacy will continue to grow. So I can tell you a story about um, a, a neighbor I have had, she's moved. Um, I'll call her Betty. And I wrote about her in Loving My Actual Neighbor, but I think it exemplifies this. Betty and I, from the outside, we couldn't have been two more different women. So I live in a neighborhood in Denver that is diverse. So we have lots of different demographics and all the different ways you measure demographics together on the same block. And, uh, you know, I have four kids. I was driving to Fort Collins for soccer games, and she thought that was the most ridiculous thing she'd ever heard of because there, we had a perfectly good soccer field two blocks from our house. Why would you drive your child that far? for a game. And why would you paint your 
blonde brick 1950s rambler it was a perfectly good house why would you spend a week doing that like she had all kinds of questions about my life well I had other questions about her life she would often reference she'd be gone for a long time come back she would reference being in jail during that time you know she had neck tattoos we just looked really different from the outside and one day, my two youngest girls were in the double jogger stroller. I put the handbrake on in the driveway. They were strapped in and I ran in the house to get my phone. And when I came back out, the stroller was gone and I heard screaming. And I looked and the, the brake must have come released and the stroller had rolled down the driveway across the street, hit the curb on the other side of the street and flipped over. And the screaming was Betty. She had been in her front yard and had seen it and came running over and she was trying to right size the stroller. So of course, my heart as the mom was just so grateful. We live on a city street that a car hadn't come at that perfect moment and hit the stroller. But more I was, well, also, I shouldn't say more. I was very grateful that my kids weren't hit by a car, but I was also grateful that my neighbor was there trying to make the situation right. And... I looked at her and said, you know, thank you so much for coming. And she, and she said something that I'll never forget. She said, I would never let anything happen to our girls. Mm. And I always get, I mean, I've told this story a million times, but I always get emotional because that one word, our, was very inclusive. I could have easily said, Betty, you're too much for us. I mean, Halloween's coming here. One of my probably my best memory of Halloween is when you're, you know, the later it gets on Halloween night, the older the kids are usually that are at the door. It's the teenagers that are there after dark. And it was 8.30. And so my little kids were back from trick-or-treating. I opened the door and there's Betty standing there, no costume, full adult. I mean, she was probably older than me with her hand out ready for her candy. I mean, I could have just said, Betty, you're too much. You're too much for us. You're too different. I don't know how to deal with you. I don't understand your world, but I tried really hard not to. I tried to say, okay, you want candy? Here's candy. I can give you what you're asking for. And she could have done the same for me. She could have said, you, you guys are weird. You have so many kids. I don't understand. You, you do all these things that I are outside of my realm of familiarity. And she didn't. She included me into her circle. But it was uncomfortable. She had moments where she came into the garage when I was there and scared me half to death and asked me for money. And I had to say no. You know, we had our, our good share of uncomfortable moments. But the day that I saw the moving pan in front of her apartment and she came over and she said, we're moving, daddy died. And, and I think he had a public housing voucher probably. And so their housing was gone because he died. She said, we're leaving. And I hugged her and I could smell the cigarette smoke and I could feel her body relax in my arms. And she just sobbed. And I thought, I cannot, I still can't believe this is the level of intimacy that I have with this woman who is so different than me. All because we both said, we're willing to stand in that weird place and to be uncomfortable. And I think that is what we need more of as we move forward in this world, because it is so easy. So, I mean, I'm guilty of it. It's so easy to tribe up and be like, 
you're like me. This is comfortable. You're not going to think I'm weird because I believe this way, or I vote this way, or I think this way, or I pray this way, or I talk this way, whatever it is. It's easier to be with people who are like us. And yet our lives are more lonely when we isolate and say, you have to meet my checklist of standards in order for us to be in relationship. My life is better because I knew Betty. Full stop. That is a true statement. My life is better because of the uncomfortable nature of our relationship. I grew and I pray that a little bit of her grew because of our friendship. Mm. Well, I love I love those stories and we share a common love for our actual neighbors, our proximate neighbors, the people around us. Maybe we're on this block for a reason. Um, we need a resurgence of that right mm-hmm. now. And um, we've just been through a lot. We all have. Um, we could talk for a long time on this topic. Um, I'm just arrested by your, um, not just the stories, but uh, the timing of this and mm. seeking out goodness um, finding the true and beautiful all around you, which which says that there is true and beautiful all around us. And I thought I'd maybe for the last two questions, start on the negative and then move to the positive. Um, what happens when we fail to see the true and beautiful all around us? Mm-hmm. We don't see, I'll talk about people, but I, I think this is true of organizations or systems. We don't see the full picture of what is there. So when we are looking at a caricature or a stereotype or an assumption or just a sliver of what we know of somebody or something, we don't see the full picture of um, what is there. And, you know, you brought up foster care, for example. It's a messy place. It's a messy place because parents make mistakes. They're trying their best. They have systems that aren't working in their favor and and kids need to be safe and all of those things are true at one time and if we just take one of those statements I just said one sliver we don't see the whole picture and as we are coming up with solutions and ways to love people well and holistically and children well and holistically we have to take all of that into account. So whether it's a person or a system or an organization like a church, and we just take a little bit of truth and not the whole thing, we miss we miss understanding what is actually true. And I think we miss the fullness of the goodness there, but also the redemption that is possible. Because I believe that God is working in the world. And when we look at where he is already at work and join him in that process, we're going to be more effective in creating change. Um, But we are also just going to experience a more full life in partnering with him. So that's the, I think the downside. And then the flip side of that is when we do look for that true full picture, I talk in the book about multiple things being true at once. And that culturally we are offered, I think, false dichotomies often. You have to either believe this or or believe this. Those are your two options. And you can say, yeah, no, I feel like there's a whole lot of gray in between. <laughs> and I feel like I kind of actually believe both of those at the same time. And, and it's hard because there's not a box for me. 
right? I mean, we often feel like theologically, do you stand here or here? Well, I don't know that I stand in either of those places. There's not a box for me. And so to allow ourselves to stand in that tension and say, multiple things are true here at once. And I may, I not just may not, but likely do not have the full picture this side of heaven of the complexities involved. So I'm going to stand in the tension and look for what is true that I am able to absorb and operate from that. So good. So hopeful. Um, let's, let's turn inward on the listener in the best of ways. There are a lot of discouraged okay. leaders right now. Yeah. Um, coach leaders each week, overwhelm and fatigue lead to a lot of discouragement and somewhere in discouragement, it's I'm not blank. I'm not enough of blank. Um, what would you say to the leader who is struggling to find the true and beautiful inside of them? Mm. Oh, that is so key. I think because we are told over and over again that we aren't measuring up and sometimes it's blatant, right? It's that person who comes up after the Sunday sermon and is like, you know, all the places you were wrong, here they are in case you didn't know, or all the things you could have done better, here they are. Um, but often it's it's not that blatant, it's subtle. And it it's just what we absorb from the world. Everybody else's highlight reel, somehow we should be living that highlight reel as well. And that's not reality. And yet we are absorbing these messages that aren't based in a full picture, aren't based in truth. Um, I would say, um, as you're looking for what is good and identifying what is inside, be mindful of what you consume. So virtually and in person. And that means cutting things out. And it also means taking things in that are good for you. And I would say healthy relationships, but also scripture and um, being mindful of the voices that you are allowing into your head. That's one. But then I would say, um, ask God to reveal those tender, beautiful places that he has placed in you. And maybe it is asking yourself, where does my heart break? For the world. Because then you'll remember why you went on this journey of ministry or of leadership in the first place. You'll remember the tender places that God has allowed you to experience pain on behalf of others, or even in your own story, pain in your own story that can be used for redemptive purposes. I talk in the book about the macro story of humanity and our micro story within it. So the macro story is creation, fall, uh, reconciliation, right? At the cross and redemption. That's humanity's big story. Our individual stories experience that over and over again. God made something good. We experience the brokenness of the world. There's hurt. We invite Christ or the Holy Spirit into it, and the redemption can happen. Look for those places of creation and the fall. So something good that God has put in you and maybe some pain places. And then ask him to do that good work in you where redemption can happen. And be open-handed about what redemption looks like. Because sometimes we want redemption to be a nice little bow. 
And then the end of the story was they lived happily ever after. And darn it, anyway, if God isn't always working on us and that little bow may not be there, but the redemption can still be present because two things can be true at once. We can hold that tension of God's not done and he is working both. So I would say those are the two things. Be mindful of what you consume and be mindful of your pain points in yourself where God could be doing something new and creating something beautiful in you and through you. Because when he does something beautiful in you, you are more available to be doing redemptive work outside in the world. Wow. Alexander, thank you for that. Thanks for who you are and for what you do, for how you help foster care families, for the labor of love that this book has been. Um, We need it right about now. So thanks a bunch and so good to chat with you. Thank you. It's good to be here. So long.